Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 166 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, and it's Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW, and it was a busy, busy week in the world of both of these brands. We have news from NXT, plenty of big news from AEW, and we even have a little bit of news from New Japan Pro Wrestling, all of which we will discuss on today's show. So a bit more of a loaded episode than usual AEW, just a couple weeks away from Double or Nothing. We'll talk about that later in the show. The entire point of me giving you this intro is to let you know to stay tuned throughout the entire episode. As always, though, there are timestamps, and we will have them once again for NXT, AEW, and New Japan on this episode. So if you have not seen one of the shows yet, but you're listening to the episode, you want to skip around, whatever the hell you want to do, you can always check our episode description and make sure you listen to the exact parts you want to of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But as always, I, of course, hope you listen to the entire Show with that out of the way, a couple pieces of business to take care of before we get into the program. First, do not forget what the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about. It's all about Defy. And on this show specifically, we ask you something very special. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts and dropping a five-star rating, five stars, and review for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let people know how much you love the show, why you like listening, what your favorite parts are. Those reviews and those ratings are very important. We haven't gotten a new one in a while, even though we do have a bunch, but I know how many of you listen to this show and I know how many ratings we have and the number is not equal. So there's plenty more of you who can make sure you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, do not forget to follow this show on Twitter at Getting overcast. We tweet about wrestling all week live during each of the four major shows, and we drop our episodes the second they are published. We will let you know through our Twitter account. It's also a great place to interact with us, send in questions and comments that we will read live on the show. I know that I've stepped back doing that the last couple of weeks, but we've just been so busy with content. We haven't been able to fit all of them in, but also, candidly, you guys haven't been sending them in at the rate that you were previously. Maybe you're not as excited about what's happening right now throughout the four brands, but hey, there's a couple DMs on this show, and if you guys send them in, and if they're good, they will get read live on the air here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So with that out of the way, let's get into the show. We're gonna start with NXT, then we're gonna move to AEW, and then last but not least, before we close out, we got some big news coming out of NJPW that we will discuss on today's program. But starting with NXT and starting in the main event, we had Johnny Gargano defending the North American Championship against Bronson Reed in a steel cage match. Reed cut a taped promo about this being the biggest match of his career and happening 14 years to the day of his real-life in-ring debut in Australia, which is pretty cool. Austin Theory pumped Gargano up backstage, and then the match began in the main event. Gargano did a springboard moonsault and Reed came back with a fireman's carry driver before Theory helped Gargano in a few spots, including them banging into Reed while on the ropes 
one inside and one outside of the cage simultaneously. I thought that was pretty cool. Reed did an avalanche Samoan drop off the middle rope. Gargano concentrated on Reed's knee and did a spectacular sunset flip powerbomb with both men standing on the top rope. Not the turnbuckle, the top rope. Uh, Gargano only got a near fall and couldn't reach the door with Theory's help. Reed sat on Gargano's chest and banged into the door, throwing Theory sideways into the cage. Gargano hit a poison rana off the top rope and somehow Reed was able to take it spectacularly because that moves all on the opponent to actually execute. I couldn't believe he was able to do that. Reed caught a springboard one final beat and threw Gargano into the cage, but Theory closed the door on his head. Gargano then executed a springboard one final beat and actually hit it, but Reed kicked out at 2.99. Reed pulled Gargano from the top rope, sorry, sorry, from the top of the cage with a sick avalanche powerbomb, but the way he double teamed him on the cage, Reed knocked Theory off of the cage like one of those Goombas in the dungeon in the Mario Brothers games. I thought that was hysterical. Springboard tsunami off the top rope, twisting onto Gargano's back. Then he climbed the top rope regularly and hit another tsunami onto the front of Gargano for the win to capture the North American Championship and his first title in WWE. There was a huge celebration. The cage got raised halfway up. Pyro went off. Reed lost himself for a moment. He cried a little bit in the middle of the ring and NXT went off the air. This was a fantastic match. It was a bit too much interference for me to go with a high grade, but the moves that Gargano and Reed were able to execute were just tremendous. So even though this had the potential to be a higher rated match, I went with 4.25 stars and an A. I mean, that's still a really good grade, obviously, but there was just a little bit too much interference for me to really just see these two guys battling back and forth. It took a little bit of the drama away from the match because Theory was always there and he just kept coming. And, and there was never a situation where he was really taken out for good until the very end. And that just all factored into the finish. So that's why I stuck with the 4.25. But this was, uh, to this point taping this episode, the best match of the week. And these guys deserve a lot of credit for a great match. But it was also a star-making performance for Bronson Reed. And Gargano really himself deserves a lot of credit for selling his ass off and making this guy look like a big deal. A lot of people wanted a tsunami off the top of the cage. That was the expectation. But the top of the cage was not accessible for technical reasons because of the way NXT needed to lower the structure. It's actually the way that NXT has always lowered its cages, whether it's in full sail or whether it's in the performance center. They just have like trusses on top that these cables hook into and you can't actually stand on top of the cage. So on one hand, that kind of sucks. On the other, these guys are trying to climb out and over the cage and you're like, well, it's a little bit more difficult, right? To actually do that. It kind of limits the things you can do in a steel cage. But nevertheless, this was exceptionally entertaining. Gargano held the title for five months and he completely elevated it after it had been made watered down a little bit unnecessarily. It's going to be great to see new blood in this mid-card division. That's my expectation now. You have Swerve, you have Santos Escobar, Pete Dunne, Kyle O'Reilly potentially could go after it if he doesn't win the heavyweight championship, the NXT title. So I'm just really excited to see this division become fresher. Dexter Loomis is another name and have a bunch of guys, Cameron Grimes, who have kind of not had much to do because Gargano was champion actually get some of these opportunities and see what happens now. And what I really hope is with NXT TakeOver in your house just a few weeks away, Reed can get in a multi-man match for the title on that show. 
win it and really solidify himself as champion. So this was very, very good, very entertaining. It wasn't big meaty men slapping meat here because Gargano, let's be honest, he's a little diminutive when you compare. But as far as you look at Bronson Reed going forward, I think you kind of have to take this stance. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. There's a lot of meat there for the colossal Bronson Reed. Moving on with NXT, Tony Storm uh, faced Zoe Stark. This opened the show and it was a great spot for it to put a really damn good match right at the start of the show, knowing that the main event was going to kick as much ass as it did. Storm largely dominated early until Stark went on a roll and countered Storm Zero into a matchbook cover for a near fall. After a German suplex by Stark, it was Storm who countered a move, hit a German of her own, and followed with Storm Zero for a shocking 2.9 count. She got really frustrated, and then she hit an inventive move that I had never seen before that started like an Orton backbreaker, you know, the type that Randy Orton always does, and ended with a head spike for a clean win. It was basically a ruby cutter, which is a a move that had been popularized in the United Kingdom. Um, I believe that's what it's called, and it looks like Storm is adding that to her arsenal and potentially either as her finisher or as a secondary finisher along with the Storm Zero, which in and of itself is a very good move. Now, if you remember, people were complaining that Storm had lost a lot since moving to the United States, but this to me put her right back on track. It was a good three-star B-minus type of match, solid wrestling, but just not enough drama to really rate it higher than that. After Storm celebrated for a minute, Frankie Monet's music debuted And it was a really hot entrance theme. I think it's very solid. She's going to have her first match next week. And I just hope it's not against Storm. She needs to just beat a lot of lower women on the card before she starts facing some of these bigger uh, women's wrestlers. We got a prime target for Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor, which will be next week for the NXT title. NXT never misses on these, though some of them are better than others. This, to me, was easily the best short-form one that they've done. Because they've done some that are like 30 minutes or an hour on WWE Network before. But ever since they've started doing them on TV, they haven't been as good. But this one was awesome. Both of them provided like DVD type of commentary while rewatching their first match. Then you had Jimmy Smith, Pat McAfee, and even Paul Heyman that were on it adding gravitas to it. With Heyman saying even Roman Reigns was interested in the match. Heyman said it's too close to call. And by the time this was over... It just felt like the biggest deal ever. Personally, I thought this was phenomenally done and NXT and their production team deserves a lot of credit for how well this prime target came across. It really was. Such good shit. Uh, We had Cameron Grimes face Jake Atlas. Grimes arrived in a Rolls Royce, tossing his keys to Atlas, who said Ted DiBiase actually already had the prime spot. Before the match, Grimes showed a highlight reel of DiBiase being foiled by his opponents back in the day. There were weird piped-in DiBiase chants during this, and I just don't even know why they felt the need to do that. Uh, Million Dollar Man pulled up in a mega-stretch limo as the match was going on. Grimes hit a Spanish crossbody, and DiBiase entered, distracting Grimes and allowing Atlas to flip him over with a jackknife cover for the win. DiBiase laughed. Grimes chased him to his limo, where DiBiase laughed again. Even though he did appear live, I just felt it was kind of disappointing and lackluster, given that they had promoted Ted DiBiase heavily throughout the entire week for the show. 
it needs to advance the storyline and it looks like it will next week. There's going to be a face off, but I don't exactly know what the point is. Like the million dollar man is not going to wrestle, right? So what exactly is going to happen here? I like the idea of him becoming Grimes mentor and helping him, you know, learn the ways of the million dollar man, not necessarily to be his adversary because million dollar man's a heel. Grimes is a heel. So I don't know why you're having them face off in this way, right? Um, but I don't know what they're going to do. Right now, though, it's disappointing and not disappointing. I- I'm happy that the Million Dollar Man's there and it works and it's entertaining and Grimes is getting over because of it. But to me, just like I criticized the Sting stuff with Team Taz over in AEW, it's the same thing three, four weeks in a row at this point. I want to see it advance. I want to see something else happen. So they have the opportunity to do that next week. But for me right now, it's just very repetitive, even though I am enjoying it. Uh, we had Killian Dane against Alexander Wolf in a singles match. I missed nearly the whole match because I had colored bars on my screen for USA Network. I don't know exactly what happened, but it seemed unnecessarily short. This thing was like, I don't know, two minutes long. Wolf tried to use a chair, but Dane countered with his running crossbody for the win. As Imperium was about to do its pose, Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel attacked Wolf from behind and hit him with the Imperium bomb. So... My presumption there was that he was out of the faction as a storyline, but they had been recruiting members. So it didn't really make sense that that was the booking. I just found this to be a disappointing segment and kind of boring. Now, later on Wednesday, we learned why Alexander Wolf lost that match. And we will talk about that later in the show. But for a TV segment, this coming off the grime stuff for me altogether just wasn't really working for me. Uh, We had Legato Del Fantasma face Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher in a tag team match. The teams faced off backstage with Legato saying they deserve to be number one contenders, but Ciampa saying that they needed to go through his team first. Raul Mendoza got his nose busted open early by Ciampa's elbow, hard way. And NXT did a really cool thing where they showed doctors clearing him during the commercial break. Can you believe that? A brand actually taking care of its talent and showing in kayfabe but reality that they were cleared to continue. Uh, There were a ton of great counters in this match and reversals too by all four men. Thatcher got the hot tag and hit a ton of suplexes. Legato then nailed a couple springboard moves, but their finisher was thwarted by Thatcher. Ciampa hit Willow's Bell, but Mendoza made the save with a missile dropkick at the very last second. And then Grizzled Young Veterans ran down and hit Ticket to Mayhem on the ring apron, which allowed Legato to hit their still unnamed This is killing me. It's been like a year. Still unnamed Russian leg sweep kick finisher on Champa for the win. This was a fantastic match uh, with a great contrast in styles between the high flying of Legato and the strong style, really, of Champa and Thatcher. There was plenty of drama late and the right team went over in the end. Mendoza was easily the star of it all. I'm not saying he hasn't had good matches and great showings before in NXT because he has. But this is the first time I can really remember him standing out as like the man of the match. And when you're in there with Champa and Thatcher and Joachim Wild as well, who deserves a lot of credit because he's really good, that is saying something. This guy has developed in a major way. I went 3.5 stars and a B for this match. It was really entertaining. And Legato became officially the number one contenders for MSK. That title match is going to be in two weeks, but I felt like that should have been at TakeOver instead, considering it's not that far away. So I don't really understand what NXT is doing. I know they want to have big matches on TV because the ratings aren't great, but 
I don't understand why they're giving away so many title matches when you have a takeover not far down the line that they need to be building matches for. There's no matches for this takeover that's less than a month away at this point. And I think that's really weird. There was a sit-down interview with Pete Dunne where he said Walter in NXT UK is a bit of unfinished business for him, but he's already passed Kushida and Johnny Gargano, and he's instead focused on Cross, but his goal is to leave any opponent he faces different than when the match begins. Not much really happened here, and this was pretty boring to me as a viewer, expecting to learn something from an interview. I just didn't get the point. Bobby Fish was later interviewed backstage, and he said his return to help Kyle O'Reilly was about getting vengeance on the guys who injured him in war games, not so much about helping Kyle. Uh, He called out Pete Dunne, saying they had unfinished business from that match that he planned to finish next week. The women of the way had a spa day. They were wearing masks with cucumbers on their eyes. Indy Hartwell said she was so glad Candice LeRae convinced her that Dexter Loomis was a weirdo who just stares at her all the time. Then after she said that, it was revealed that it was Loomis giving her a massage the entire time and he left really depressed after overhearing their talk. LeRae's credit card got declined when they were trying to pay, and it was then revealed that she had made a big purchase at a flower shop just recently. Indy wasn't mad that Candace sent the flowers and made her think it was Dexter Loomis. Instead, she was just really happy that Loomis still loves her and was not sending flowers to other women. She ran out of the room screaming with happiness. They're just so damn funny and so damn good together. It's ridiculous. I hope the way goes on forever and just keeps developing all these different, weird, somewhat funny storylines. But I loved these types of segments. I always like when wrestling takes you out of the ring and out of the arena. AEW did it this week as well. NXT does it frequently. This was very, very entertaining. We had Saray against Aaliyah in a singles match. Surprisingly, Aaliyah was all over Saray early, even tossing her around the ring. But Saray quickly hit back with a German suplex. Missile dropkick, basement dropkick on the ropes, and then her Saito suplex for the win. Now, this did its job for Saray to continue piling up wins, but she really does need to work on her overall presence, both on the ramp, making her entrance, and in the ring. She looks nervous and kind of like she's lacking confidence, but all of that will come in time. It's just something I did notice during this match. She is, while she's extremely talented and a great wrestler, She is not ready to be at the top of the women's division in NXT. She has a lot of work to do. I have no doubt that she's going to get there. But it is very obvious when you see her that she is green in terms of what it takes to succeed in a WWE, NXT, really American type of production. And I do think she'll get there, but work does need to be done there. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai were talking about going after the women's tag team titles whenever Rise interrupted and did their shtick. So Gonzalez sucker punched Matt Martell. It sounded like Kai would have a match with Mercedes Martinez coming up, but they didn't specify that exactly. Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart later cut a promo about not letting Gonzalez and Kai skip the line because they were getting back to basics and wanted a rematch. And general manager William Regal later set a match between the teams next week, presumably to determine a number one contender. The same Diamond Mine vignette aired as last week, heavily showing MMA features like gloves, equipment, and the chain-linked fences of an octagon-like structure. I have some pessimism on this, but as always, we have to see where it ends up going before we actually judge it. And they kind of are just showing the same thing three weeks in a row for the most part. So I kind of want to see this develop a little bit more. And then last but not least, we had a tag team match. Ashante V. Adonis and Top Dalla against Tony Nese and Arya Davari. Top Dalla hit a world's strongest slam on Davari with Nice on his shoulders, and he got thrown forward when he did that. 
I was not a fan of his ring gear at all. A cut off basketball jersey with a dollar sign in the back. That's so like John Cena or like early 90s, like not knowing what to do until you figure out, hey, these guys should wear throwback jerseys or something. So top dollar, that ring gear needs to get updated to 2021. Uh, but other than that gear being lame, everything else was pretty good. He had a finisher that was basically an attitude adjustment that became a vertical suplex. It really fit him and looked awesome. Hit Row combined for a rhyme after the match with Swerve saying he wanted the winner of the North American title match. They need more time to gel together on the mic and in the ring. It was all a little bit messy, but the faction is strong and clearly has a bright future. Like you watch them and you know it's going to work, but you want to see them take the steps and develop it, come up with some catchphrases and really just pull the entire thing together. So NXT was a very good show as usual on Tuesday, but there were two things that stood out in a major way. Of course, it was the steel cage match for the North American Championship and the Zoe Stark Tony Storm match. Those were really the bright spots on the entire show. Really, I should also mention the prime target because that was fantastic as well. Some of the other things that happened in the show were kind of boring, weren't as great. There were other highlights. I mentioned the Spa Day, the Legato and Champa Thatcher match. Those were both very good as well. But everything in between those four things I just mentioned wasn't as strong as what we've seen in NXT over the last few weeks. But look, not every episode is going to be a grand slam. And the prior two NXT episodes were truly grand slams, but this was still a very good, it was a triple or a solo home run, very entertaining show. Now, before we get to AEW, a little bit of NXT news. There were some releases, talent releases for the brand. From a wrestling standpoint, we had Alexander Wolf, which explains why he lost in that match. Apparently, his contract is going to expire in the middle of June and WWE decided not to renew it. As far as Wolf is concerned, I mean, look, I'm just being completely candid as I always am on the podcast. I have always kind of believed he's somewhat of a marginal talent. It doesn't mean that he's not a good wrestler or shouldn't have a job somewhere. He definitely should. Um, And he's very talented, but he just was never someone who to me looked like they fit in WWE or was someone who was going to get a lot of screen time if they were not part of a faction. And I think that was proven by the way he was and was not used. Sanity, you know, at the time was unique as a group and he was part of it with Killian Dane and Eric Young and Nikki Cross. But I think the standouts from that, at least for me, are the ones that WWE still has. And Killian Dane, just because he's so unique as a performer, and Nikki Cross, because she's a fantastic wrestler with a great personality and just, you can you can see that she exudes character. Uh, Eric Young, obviously, was the veteran of the group. He's over at Impact. Alexander Wolf was the one left. They had nothing to do with him. They brought him over to NXT UK. He joined Imperium. And now he's being released. So it is sad to see him go and anyone lose a job. But I do somewhat understand it. What I don't understand is what Imperium is going to be like moving forward. Are they actually going to recruit members? Is that storyline now over? What exactly are they going to do? NXT also released Skylar Story, who is Brandy Loren. I believe she was in Evolve. Uh, Ezra Duke, who I believe was also in Evolve. Kavita Devi, who I think was one of the Indian um, wrestlers, the female Indian wrestlers who was working on the brand. Jessamine Duke, who is one of the four horsewomen. Now that's an interesting release because certainly there is an expectation that one day Ronda Rousey will come back. Marina Shafir is still under contract and obviously Shayna Baszler is working right now on Raw. But I think with Duke, she has really dedicated herself to gaming and streaming. And it looks like she will still be on Up, Up, Down, Down, the WWE YouTube show hosted by Austin Creed, Xavier Woods. 
and is still going to be doing her gaming. So she's still under contract to WWE in some way. She's just not a wrestling talent anymore. Maybe she just decided to give up that part of her career. Last we saw Marina Shafir, she was alongside Roderick Strong, where he was kind of telling William Regal he was done wrestling in NXT. So we don't know what's happening there. But my guess is that he comes back with her as a manager or valet or something like that. And I've always thought both of them had a lot of potential. Duke a little bit more than Shafir, although I did think both were really good um, or just had a potential to be really good in WWE. So I am curious to see if Shafir stays and what she ends up doing. And then last but not least, released from the talent was Vanessa Bourne, who got called up to Raw at the beginning of the pandemic and never used. Again, with Vanessa Bourne, I think she was someone that just never really caught on in WWE. She was a singles wrestler for a long time in NXT. That wasn't working. She teamed up with Aaliyah. That seemed to actually be something. And then they split them up and brought her over to the main roster and just didn't do anything for her. So I don't know why exactly it didn't work, but I never thought she was anything more than a lower mid-carder. So I certainly didn't, this isn't a, a shot where I expected her to be something great and I'm shocked that WWE released her. Let's put it that way. There were two other releases that were interesting. One is referee Jake Clemens, uh, who was well-liked from what I know and is now going back on the independence. He already had a booking. And referee Drake Wirtz. And I could get into an entire diatribe about why this release was appropriate and it was a long time coming. And I was shocked that he was still employed by WWE for an extended period of time. But we try not to get political on this show. I mean, we try to really keep it to wrestling and entertainment and fun stuff. But let's just say his views, his politics, and a lot of the things he believed, as with many people in the United States right now, were extremely problematic in major ways. And I'll tell you something that was clearly public. Uh, We did not mention it on the show. But just a couple weeks ago, he called in via Skype or, you know, via Zoom or whatever video conferencing utility was used to like a local Orlando city council meeting or something to that end. Um, And he was literally wearing his NXT polo shirt, crying about mask mandates and how children who are masked are more susceptible to child sex trafficking, a phrase I never thought I would say on this podcast, and things of that nature. So I think you probably have uh, an understanding of the types of things he believes in and what he is all about uh, when it comes to his political mindset. Uh, So to each their own in many ways, but to do and say the things that he had been doing and saying over the last few months, but especially the last few weeks as well, especially doing one of them from NXT. He was in the Performance Center while wearing an NXT polo. And then I believe he skipped the taping last week to attend something for a similar cause. Um, That's just not gonna fly. There were a ton of stories out there about things he's done backstage that have pissed off a lot of people. He was extremely problematic. He was the former head referee of NXT. He got suspended, that title was stripped from him, yet he was still employed, and now he's finally been released. So again, to say that he was problematic is probably an understatement. And to say that his release was a long time coming is probably an understatement as well. So he was the biggest news item coming out of all of these releases. Um, But that is it. And we hope that's it because obviously we want everyone else to retain their job. So that is basically 
a full breakdown of NXT. Let's move over to AEW. We have plenty to talk about from Dynamite, some AEW news as well. And then, as I said at the end of the show, a brief bit on New Japan Pro Wrestling. But we'll start with AEW Dynamite. Uh, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston fought the acclaimed in a tag team match. Both teams cut taped promos with Kingston, making fun of the term super kick party and Anthony Bowens calling Mox a lunatic cringe, which I thought was pretty funny. I'm not a fan usually of Max Caxter's raps. I'm really not a fan of the acclaimed in totality. I know people really like them. Uh, I just find Caxter's raps to be really cheesy, but he did a great pun on Renee Paquette's Oral Sessions podcast before the match, which, which obviously pissed off Mox. Mox got the hot tag and went wild, but the acclaimed did a really cool superplex followed by a flying crossbody vertical suplex. The acclaimed tried and failed to use weapons, and the faces hit an assisted paradigm shift for the win. This was a good bit of fun. The promos, the match, everything. I really enjoyed it. As a quick aside, I do need to say I hate that AEW dropped Moxley's unscripted violence theme, and they're now using Wild Thing for him. It just feels so forced, and the other one, Unscripted Violence, fit his character so much better. It was very close to a Stone Cold Steve Austin type of entrance, where you hear that guitar riff, and you're like, oh my god, here comes Mox. And now you're just playing Wild Thing, a bland 90s remake of a 60s song. I'm glad they used the 90s, you know, Major League movie version, um, you know, this week on Dynamite and presumably moving forward. And I'm sure Mox is doing this to honor someone. But to me, Unscripted Violence was by far a better entrance. And this is a clear downgrade. So while I loved Mox and Kingston and I loved the acclaim this week, as far as the entrance music goes, I got a mark at zero. Uh, There was a tag team title match, the Young Bucks against the Varsity Blondes. This was the main event. The Blondes cut a great taped promo backstage talking about how they looked up to the Young Bucks as neophytes, uh, young guys in the independent wrestling community, and have completely lost respect for them. This really exceeded my expectations when I saw they were doing a promo. The first half of this match, Bucks and Varsity Blondes, was boring as sin to me. Matt Jackson Eventually had Pillman in a sharpshooter and Nick sprayed his eyes with a cold cam. Pillman had an inside cradle for a near fall. Then Matt put the sharpshooter back on as Nick hit a springboard X-Factor and Pillman tapped. I thought the finish was pretty inventive. I loved the X-Factor while he was already in a submission. That was really cool. But this match was the pits for me. I really didn't like it at all. And I could not believe this was the main event match on the show, even though it was a title match. Mox and Kingston then ran down and choked out the Bucks after the match to stand tall as the number one contenders. Then Kingston stole their Jordans. They were Dior Jordans off their feet, which really popped me in a major way. It's so typical of Eddie Kingston to do that. That was hysterical. Uh, This was the main event of the show, but it really shouldn't have been because it was pretty weak. Again, Moxley and Eddie Kingston are great. The Young Bucks and the Varsity Blondes here, it just didn't work for me at all. Uh, Christian Cage fought Matt Seidel. This was the opening match of the show. It was one of AEW's shorter opening matches that I can remember. It was about 10 minutes with Christian winning via kill switch. Good wrestling all around, but nothing to write home about specifically. The real action came after the bell. As Ricky Starks came out to distract both guys, that led Team Taz to attack them from behind. Hangman Page made the save, but Brian Cage dominated him with a powerbomb to end the segment. I I know Hook doesn't really wrestle, but what I would love to see next week is a six-man tag team match between all six of these guys as the go home to double or nothing. I think that would be a really smart booking. 
Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page were interviewed by Tony Schiavone in the ring. Sky said Sting was past his prime and told him to move aside for good. Page then went off on Darby Allen and said he'd be the nail in his coffin. The faces made their entrances and absolutely dominated Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page with ease. It ended with Sting making Sky tap in the Scorpion Deathlock. I thought this was fine. They're heavily promoting that Sting is going to be in a regular non-cinematic match at Double or Nothing. Hukaru Shida fought Rebel in a non-title match. This was in the first hour of the show for a change, but it only lasted like two minutes. Shida put the glove on to give Rebel the lockjaw, but Britt Baker distracted the referee. Rebel hit Shida with a crutch and did the toss suplex for a near fall. Shida then did a neck breaker and stretch muffler for the submission. Baker finished by coming in, attacking, and stomping Shida on the title, basically using Seth Rollins curb stomp. This was okay, nothing that special. They're going to do a one-year celebration for Hikaru Shida being champion, basically for an entire calendar year. Next week on Dynamite, I love the idea of Britt Baker interrupting that and attacking her. And again, Baker needs to win the title at Double or Nothing. I will keep repeating it until it happens. Uh, Kenny Omega and Don Callis visited Orange Cassidy in the training room. They said it was from last week. Uh, They said they valued him in AEW. They care about his health and they want him to be AEW's mascot, but not a main eventer. Callis showed Orange a contract that would allow him to get a title match with Omega down the road as long as he withdraws from the double or nothing match. He slowly tore up the contract. Omega tried explaining it a second time. They gave him a second copy of the contract to consider and Orange did not rip it up. I'm sure that this is not the case, but this is a very smart piece of booking if he's not medically cleared to compete. They can just say he signed the contract to get his own opportunity later down the line if for some reason next week, right before the pay-per-view, it's determined that he can't go. But even if that's not the case and they just did this as part of the storyline, it's really fun, it's personality-driven, and I really, really enjoyed it. Pack also cut a short promo backstage later in the show about ensuring he will get his opportunity. There was really nothing to that. The Pinnacle sat around a dinner table. Wardlow chugged the bottle of wine, kind of playing like he was Thor in Endgame. I thought that was pretty funny. MJF said he hated Chris Jericho's jokes. And then Dax Hardwood starts going off in a great promo. He's in the middle of cutting it, saying the Pinnacle should be going after all the AEW titles and not being worried about the inner circle. When Sean Spears, for like no reason, because he wasn't getting wine fast enough, attacked a waiter. Outside of the Spears thing, which I just thought was stupid and out of place, this was really good. I like when AEW does segments from random appropriate locations. I said the same thing earlier about NXT. When you go outside the arena and you go outside the backstage area, it just kind of creates a little bit of excitement and it almost allows you to believe that NXT doesn't exist in a kayfabe world. It exists in the real world. And I always love when wrestling companies do that. Uh, WWE did it with that Jeff Hardy, Sheamus, like hit and run uh, deal that happened, that whole long-term storyline with Elias. Um, Obviously, NXT and AEW, they do it more frequently. The inner circle hit the ring later. Ortiz said he wanted to fight. Sammy Guevara cut maybe his worst AEW promo yet, which is weird because he's usually a good promo. Jake Hager struggled through his. Finally, Chris Jericho got the mic and raised the rent in a major way by explaining how much blood and guts took out of them. Jericho then went off about the bump he took, how it dislocated his elbow and scared his family because his head almost at the back of the stage. Then the inner circle took the challenge officially and Jericho said they would piss all over the pinnacle's grave. This was a super hot promo, continued great build. And even though we know 
Chris Jericho has it. I don't really have many good positive drops on the show that don't involve meat. So I'll just repeat, Chris Jericho on the mic, as always, has it. Jade Cargill was in the middle of cutting her same promo as always when MJF's lawyer, Mark Sterling, from like six months ago, tried to convince her to join him. This was nothing. I continue to assume her eventual manager will be someone making their debut, maybe like Mickey James. The NWA Women's Championship was on the line. Serena Deeb defended against Red Velvet. Deeb was shot out of a cannon. She is so freaking good in the ring. Velvet hit a moonsault off the ring apron and nailed Deeb in the face with her, uh, like, shin. She nearly folded the champion over for a three count, just missed by a hair. Deep countered a moonsault with double knees and got a near fall with a powerbomb. Then she won with the serenity lock after Velvet broke on her first try. This was very entertaining and one of the better AEW women's TV matches. I gave it 3.25 stars and a B. It was the second best women's match of the entire week behind Asuka and Charlotte. And I did actually think it was better than the Zoe Stark and Tony Storm match just because this match had drama and that match really didn't have that much drama. So because of that, I gave it a little bit higher of a star grade. But three really good women's matches, one on each show this week. We've talked extensively about women's wrestling not getting a lot of time across all four, uh, well, three of the four brands. NXT always gives it plenty of time. But Raw, AEW, and SmackDown had really been lacking so far this week. Raw and AEW, and of course, NXT have all done a great job. We will see what's ahead on SmackDown Friday night. We had Anthony Ogogo against Austin Gunn in a singles match. Cody Rhodes came out draped in an American flag. Commentary tried to put over Cody's dog shit promo from last week. Gunn attacked right at the bell. And he got about 30 seconds of offense before Agogo punched him in the gut. Uh, then Agogo hit him in the gut a second time. And Gunn bit on a blood capsule that splattered all over his face. Uh, then Agogo, what did he do? He did a pop-up punch to Gunn's chin, and the referee called the match just basically as a stoppage. Agogo then grabbed and threw the American flag, and Cody ran to catch it before it hit the ground. This feud is absolute garbage. It's total shit. I think I lost interest even just re-explaining it to you (laughs) right there. I cannot believe they booked this for one of their four pay-per-views they have annually. They couldn't come up with something better for Cody to do. I don't even want to watch it on the show at this point. It's horrible. Yes, it gets, you know, the sound drop. Zero point zero. Now I did have a DM slide come in here. And it is from Eric at Rib Sauce. He said, it's a stable full of jobbers against one of AEW's top guys. And never for one second have I wanted Cody to come out on top, even though he's allegedly the baby face. This is terrible. Zero point zero. And yes, I completely agree. It is absolutely a horrendous storyline, terrible promo, and it did not get any better this week. SCU was interviewed backstage. Christopher Daniels refused to answer what was next for him. Frankie Kazarian said his goal was to hunt down the elite, and I thought what was a pretty good promo for him individually. Miro cut a promo as the new TNT champion. He was still focused on Darby Allen for some reason, uh, but he said he would defend the title next week, two days before fighting Lance Archer, for the TNT title at Double or Nothing. Archer came out. He totally saved the segment, saying he'll make Miro his Bulgarian bitch. Miro's promo was horrendous until at the end, he told Jake Roberts that no type of yoga would save him from getting his ass kicked. It was extremely weak at the beginning, but a very strong close with Archer. 
and Miro. So that's it from AEW Dynamite. We do have a little bit of AEW news to talk about though, and it concerns their TV deal. AEW and Turner Networks announced earlier this week that AEW will move to TBS in 2022 from TNT to TBS. It will also add a one-hour weekly show, Rampage, that will air on Fridays at 10 p.m. It'll begin on TNT, but when Dynamite moves to TBS, it will move to TBS as well. And AEW is also going to get four television specials per year, which to me says akin to old school Clash of Champions back when WCW used to have that. And they have long needed more events. This is a really, really good idea. You have your four pay-per-view events that are $50 or whatever they are per year. You do four TV specials that they can build to. They don't have to throw in all of these special episodes of Dynamite on TV. Instead, you can build to these. That gives them eight events, which is really a great number. I think 10 special events a year is probably the right number for a company like WWE. For AEW, the number of eight is really solid, and it's probably exactly what I would do if given the opportunity. You're not doing every month. You're also not doing every other month, which would be six. You're just kind of doing most of the time there's a special event, and that is really going to help Dynamite be more fluid and build to specific specials, whether it's TV or whether it's pay-per-view, as opposed to the special TV episodes that sometimes were delivering for AEW, but kind of stopped delivering recently. They hadn't been as good. The, the New Year's ones, the Blood and Guts, the ones that they've done so far in 2021 were not as solid as a lot of the events they had done previously, like the Bash in the Beach, the first one they ever did. So I like the TV specials. I think that's great. As far as AEW moving to TBS and any impact that has, I don't think it has any impact. I mean, the viewership in terms of the number of homes that the channel reaches is basically identical. It's still under Turner. The one thing I will say is TNT to me, historically is a stronger channel because it has better lead-ins. You have the Marvel movies. Sometimes they air, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or Shawshank Redemption. They air really, really good movies and they have great hour-long dramas or they did for a long time on TNT that give great lead-ins and very similar 18 to 49 audiences that will consume the AEW product. TBS is more of a comedy station with half-hour sitcoms, reality shows. They have Wipeout with John Cena, things like that. So I don't think the surrounding content is as good for AEW, but I don't think it's going to lose much because the AEW fan base is so loyal. It's going to follow them no matter what channel they are, are on. And I don't think TBS is any type of downgrade. Like, TBS to TNT is not sci-fi to USA, like when WWE had SmackDown on sci-fi for a while, you know? So this is still far, far, far better than that. And AEW also apparently, reportedly got an eight-figure deal to move stations and add all of this content. Now, as far as this one-hour Rampage show on Fridays at 10 p.m., I did get a DM on that. That's from Dusty Allen at It's Dusty Allen. He says, Silver King, do you think Rampage will be edgier with it starting at 10 p.m.? I know AEW is more risque than WWE currently, but do you think this new time slot will encourage them to push the envelope even more? That's a, I think that's a great question, and I think that's exactly what they should do. I almost believe that Dynamite, they force it too much. Like, the Inner Circle always doing middle fingers. They're being blood, if not every week, every other week. 
uh, saying the word bitch a lot or asshole or shit or whatever the case. I don't mind cursing. You guys know, you listen to this podcast. I love to curse. It's true. I actually tone it down for this show. I, in my real life, when I'm talking, I, I curse a lot more than I do on this podcast. And I love the idea of a more, slightly more adult wrestling brand. But I do think when you're trying to appeal to a mass audience, that going too far in that direction in 2021 is not a great thing. So if I was AEW, I would probably tone it down a little bit on Dynamite, but I would tone it up on Rampage. And I would make that show on Friday night after SmackDown every week, you have SmackDown eight to 10 on Fox. I would make it as different from SmackDown and WWE as possible. I don't believe that AEW, the Dynamite brand, is really that different from Raw or SmackDown. Now, the storylines are different and you may, and the wrestling in many ways, especially compared to Raw, is better. The storytelling is way better than Raw and things like that. But in terms of the actual product you're getting, I've always believed it's closer to a main roster WWE alternative than it is something like NXT, which is really heavily focused on the in-ring product. So what I would do with that one hour rampage is I would make it very different. I, I would make it a little bit more, not necessarily hardcore, but a little bit more adult, where the language is consistently more adult, where the people tuning in are expecting, you know, big meaty men slapping meat. And and they're they're gonna get a little bit more thematic show that fits with that rampage name. So I think that's a great idea, Dusty, and I really do think and hope that's what AEW is gonna do. I don't know why you would have a show that starts 10 p.m. Eastern in the United States on a cable channel and not make it a little bit more adult in nature. So that is my expectation, but this is all in all really good news for AEW. This did happen because TNT and Turner signed the NHL package. So now they're gonna have NHL and NBA. By the way, NBA, another huge lead-in and huge driver of viewership for AEW. It will miss that going over to TBS. TBS does have, at least I think they still have MLB baseball. And then during the NCAA tournament, they do air some college basketball games as well, but it's not the same strong 18 to 49 audience for those that the NBA gets. So again, it's a slight downgrade in my eyes going to TBS, but nothing to be worried about, nothing to be concerned about. And ultimately, if they're getting paid more money, getting all these specials and doing all this cool stuff with the Turner Networks, then this is really good for AEW. Now, before we get out of here, I did promise a quick talk about New Japan. It was announced early Thursday morning, right before we taped this podcast, that Will Ospreay has vacated the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship due to a neck injury sustained in a match. Ospreay's reign ends at only 46 days with one title defense. That's coming after Kota Ibushi held the unified title for one month after holding the combined titles, meaning he had the heavyweight championship and the intercontinental championship for just two months. So he had three month total reign for him and a one month reign for Will Ospreay. Even though it's been consistently running shows, New Japan's booking and its overall luck has been horrendous throughout the start of the pandemic. It's really affected my interest in the product. When we first started this podcast a year ago, the goal was not to do heavy NJPW stuff, but we were gonna talk about it consistently. And as you guys have noticed, it's very rare that New Japan even gets brought up on the show. And that's in large part due to their booking and my level of interest in the product. Tetsuya Naito won the title last January, and that was such a great moment at Wrestle Kingdom. But then they just had Evil take the title off him for no reason. 
only for Naito to win it back six weeks later and then get into this entire thing. Now, New Japan does have Dominion, which is their SummerSlam coming up on June 6th. It's only a couple of weeks away and I don't believe there's a card announced for it yet. And I believe the G1 Climax Tournament, which is usually in the summer, usually in July, has been pushed to October this year. And that is not good for the Silver King because I have college football and the NFL in October. And I don't know how I'm gonna watch the G1 alongside all of that. So I assume New Japan is gonna do something with the vacant title in a couple of weeks at Dominion. And then they'll try to figure out what to do going forward for the G1 and then Wrestle Kingdom again in January. But it does suck. It's horrible, obviously horrible news for Will Ospreay to finally get elevated as a heavyweight, finally win this premier championship in New Japan and then get injured and have to uh, relinquish it. And certainly with a neck injury, that's really scary. Who the hell knows how long this guy is gonna be out. So really rough stuff for New Japan. I hope they work through it. I hope they figure out their booking. And if they do, we'll start covering it a little bit more on this podcast. Now, as far as what's next for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, Dynamite is going to be on Friday next week. So we're gonna have to do things a little bit differently. We will be back Tuesday, as always, talking WWE in that episode. Not only will we talk SmackDown and Raw, we will also go over a couple of the A&E biographies, Booker T and Shawn Michaels, that we've not yet talked about. Then we're gonna come back on Thursday. And on Thursday, we're gonna do an AEW Ultimate Preview, along with our full breakdown of NXT. And I know that Dynamite is on Friday, but just as with SmackDown on Friday, there's not gonna be a real way for us to do a Ultimate Preview over the weekend and give you guys less than 36 hours to actually listen to the podcast. So it doesn't make sense to do it. We'll do the preview early in the week on Thursday. The entire card for the most part, I assume is gonna be out. They've done a really solid job announcing the card over the last two weeks. And then what we will do is Friday at midnight after AEW Dynamite goes off the air, we will do a AEW Double or Nothing Go Home Show live once again on Twitter Spaces. So you're gonna want to make sure to follow us at Getting Overcast and have the official Twitter app for iOS or Android downloaded. And then on Sunday, immediately after Double or Nothing goes off the air, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast will be back. Adam Silverstein and Chris Vanini will be joining me. He may join me for the Ultimate Preview, and I'm going to try to get him to join me for the Go Home Show as well. For AEW Double or Nothing Instant Analysis, Sunday night after the pay-per-view ends. So it should be a three-episode week next week, plus a live show on Twitter Spaces, just as we are going to now start doing for... Uh, WWE pay-per-views because they're SmackDown on Friday night. We'll start doing it for AEW, at least whenever they have a Dynamite on Friday night or potentially in the future when they have a Rampage on Friday night. So that's going to be how our schedule adjusts. I look forward to bringing all of you that content next week. Reminders, as always, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. So with all of that said, the Silver King will bid you adieu, and I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now.